So I always try to have something to share with you that I feel like is the heart of the Lord for uh, not just you as an individual, but what God is saying to us as a family. And sometimes there are those, those uh, vertical messages that are just always to connect you and I to the person of Jesus. We, we need to be connected to him because he is the vine and we are the branches and we are the ones that bear fruit, but we bear fruit because we're connected to him, right? But then there are also messages that need to be horizontal, that help us to connect with one another because they will know that you are Christians by your love for one another. And so if we don't look after the one another, the, the, this axis, then we really aren't demonstrating the fact that we are connected to Jesus. Like the old, the old saw goes, to live above with the saints we love, oh, this would be glory. To live below with the saints we know, oh, that's another story. And so we work out what it is that God teaches us on the inside by learning to love one another, even when we're not lovely, learning to give grace, even when we need more grace, you know, learning to forgive. Why? Because we are God's family. This is, you, you can't tell me that, that we can't forgive one another because Jesus shed his blood to forgive us. And who had more to forgive the Father for the sin of the whole world or you and me because we step on one another's toes or we have different perspectives or we unintentionally do something to offend somebody. We didn't, didn't really even uh, mean to, but we did. And, and so we have to walk in this forgiveness because God wants us to be whole. We're his whole family, right? We have to, we have to walk together. Um, so, so today I wanna really start off this year talking about how God is all in for his church. Um, a lot of times when you see pictures, um, you see these pictures um, in, you know, people put on Facebook and whatnot, and, and they'll say, uh, it'll say the glory of God, and you'll see a, a big mountainscape behind it, you know, uh, beautiful sunrise, maybe over the beach, maybe you're wishing you were there right now, someplace warmer. I don't know, it's not too bad out there today. A week ago, I was wishing for the beach, someplace warmer. And, uh, and, and yet, you know, while the Bible does say the heavens declare the glory of God, the greatest expression of the glory of God is, in fact, the church. It's the people of God. Adam was created in the image and likeness of God so that he might, he might declare who God was. And, and so he was given dominion. So the glory of God rests among his people. It rests, the glory of God rests here. The church is the dwelling place for the glory of God. God doesn't dwell in a building unless his people are in the building. We can dedicate our buildings to God, but can I tell you, you can have worship at an old bar. You can have worship at a club somewhere. You can, why? Because it's the people. It's the people that give their hearts to the Lord, not a building. God says, I dwell not in a temple made with human hands. And yet a lot of times we get caught up in our location, but it's really not about the location. It's about the presence of God in your heart, the presence of God in my heart. Well, I'm holding this little shepherd staff here, this cane that was actually given to me. Holly, there's one, uh, there's one with Holly's name on it too in, in my office. This was given by a, a brother in the Lord when, uh, when we became lead pastors here back, uh, it was 25 years ago uh, this year. 
And uh, it's got, you're, you're gonna wonder, so I'm, I'm gonna mention it. This says blood of Jesus on it. The red one, the, the white one is righteousness. And the blue one, if it will cooperate, says the grace of God. And there's a scripture on here from Isaiah 58, 12, I think. And a dear brother in the Lord made these for, for Holly and I. Pretty, pretty fascinating how he put it all together too. And they've been hanging out in my office for the last 25 years. Um, and so today it gets a debut. Um, and, uh, but it's, it's meaningful to me because it has to do with how, uh, you know, the, the part of the calling of the Lord on my life uh, and on Holly's life because we are one uh, to, to shepherd this flock. And uh, shepherds get a bad rap in uh, the world in which we live. Um, even in the church, uh, I, I realize that uh, sh- shepherding the flock is one of those weird kind of, nobody knows to, what to do with a shepherd. You know, they're kind of smelly. They kind of run down. They're kind of common looking. They smell like the sheep. You know, how do we, and, and in today's vernacular, when it comes to corporate church and how church needs to be run and led and all of those kind of things, the, the idea of a shepherd is, is uh, it's just a, a strange metaphor, you know. Um, and yet, when we find Jesus uh, talking to Peter, he said to Peter, I'm going to tell you who your, what your name is. You're Simon. Everybody's called you Simon, but I'm going to call you Peter. And on this rock of revelation, thou art the Christ. On this rock of revelation, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so then Jesus, when, when Peter messes up, and, and how many of you know leaders mess up too? The problem is when leaders mess up, it's in front of everybody. It's very visible. Doesn't just because a, a person is in a role, doesn't just because they're in a position, doesn't make them perfect, doesn't make them without sin, doesn't make them, you know. And so I've been very cautious through the years of, of not becoming a personality. I have a personality, but when it comes to Sunday morning, I want you to hear pastor. I want you to hear the word of the Lord. I don't want you to hear the word of Ken Kramer. And that's a, that's a tough line for me sometimes, just to be honest. But when Peter messes up, Jesus calls him and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter goes vertical. Yes, I love you. Jesus, you know I love you. Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? He's troubled. He knows that Jesus isn't hard of hearing. And Jesus knows that Peter's not hard of hearing. And they're in an oral culture, which you and I might repeat ourselves several times, but in an oral culture, you didn't repeat yourself. You said it, and you expected people to get it because they paid more attention to the words back then. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. And then a third time, oh, this was offensive. This was a slap in Peter's face and he was grieved because Jesus, the Lord, the head of the church, comes to him again and says, do you love me? Peter's heartbroken tears. It's this moment between him and the master. You and I get to look in on 
Peter's imperfections for thousands of years now. Lord, you know that I love you. Then look after my lambs. Look after my sheep. Look after my people. And then he goes on to talk to Peter about how his life is going to end and, and, and what's going to happen in his life. God is all in for his church. God is all in for his people. He takes this covenant situation very seriously. When I talk against you, I'm talking against Jesus himself. If you talk against me, you talk against Jesus himself. This is, this is, uh, this is the word of the Lord. But when Paul begins to uh, persecute the church and Jesus stops him on the road to Damascus, what does he say? Why do you persecute? Not my people. Why do you persecute me? Because the head is connected to the body and we are part and parcel with Jesus. And so we, we don't have any wiggle room in this business of forgiveness. We don't have any wiggle room in this business of gossip or slander. We don't have any wiggle room in this business of division. We can't talk against one another. We've got to work it out. We've got to love one another. And Jesus demonstrates this as the head of the church by speaking to his number one, who has already denied him three times, he restores him three times. And he says, this is your job. Look after my sheep. So being a pastor is a high calling. It's a huge responsibility. I didn't really understand it when I got, first got started. I still don't understand it 25 years in. I understand how I'm not equal to it. I, I understand more about what I should know or I should have known prior to. But you all are all I've known to pastor. I was a youth pastor for a little while at another church. I had six people. One summer I had six people, something about six, right? I had six people in a little church in Marion, Michigan for a summer. But the rest of my ministries happen here. And I want you to know that wherever I go, you go too. That wherever, whenever I'm away, can't wait to come home. Why? Because I love the worship here. I love to worship God with you. I love the freedom that we have to move together as one. It's always a little weird when you go to another church and you go to another setting and and they, do, they have their way, and they, they do things the way they do their things. Um, but when, I, when I'm here, I'm like, yeah, these people get God. These people have the same revelation that I have about the Lord. We've walked together long enough. Here's another uh, uh, a scripture here, and I'm in the, the last scripture at the top of your notes in Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> Peter is preaching now because he's been looking after the sheep. He's preaching on the day of Pentecost. And so he preaches and 3,000 get saved, right? So we're picking up the story right at the end of that. Verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 
Let's just pause on that for a moment. What would, it ha- what would happen if 3,000 people got saved in Gloucester and they had to come to a church? Can I tell you right now, and I know this, there are not 3,000 people in Gloucester in church right now in Gloucester County as we sit here. I know it because I know the pastors and I know the sizes of the congregation. There is less than 10% of our county that's attending a church on a Sunday morning, particularly in this county. But I think it, even if you take the people that are, that are going across the bridge to go to a bigger church, whatever the case may be. But if 3,000 got saved in Gloucester County, what would, what would change about what we do? Could we do business as usual? Or would you be would we have a, a line of people telling people this is where the bathroom is, this is where the this is where kids' church is, this is where this is, this is how you find out more about Jesus. Let me sit down with you. Okay, here's the old testament, here's the new testament. Let me teach you how to pray, let me teach you how to do devotions, let me teach you how what what are the, what does somebody that doesn't know Jesus know? They know nothing about God. And suddenly, you and I would be put in a position of that we couldn't rest on our laurels anymore. We couldn't sit back and just do church for us. We would have to realize there's a whole bunch of babies that need to be fed, right? And so then we would begin to, okay, let's rally. Let's do what we need to do. Why? Because there is new life happening in the house of the Lord. And here's what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to, oh, you know what? Read that with me. Let's read the whole thing together. Uh, you ready? Clear, your <coughs> clear it out there. Get ready. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, this is the first time that you see this kind of communal mentioning, and I'm just going to hasten to give you some background. Remember, this is the day of Pentecost, and the day of Pentecost drew Jews from the diaspora, from the, the places of, around, the, around the world where they had been sent out or they had moved out, whether from exile or captivity. There were Jews all over the place, and, and so they would come back to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost, and on that day, you remember Acts 2, 4, they heard the wondrous works of God in their own languages. Now there's that group of people, and among them, 3,000 got born again. So these are people that are guests in town. They're, every motel, every guest house was packed. There was no room in the inn for anybody, and because these were visiting Jews to the city. They didn't live there. So what did the church do? The church said, well, we're going to have to look after these folks. They just came to Jesus, and we know Jesus, and so they're our family, and so they did what family does. They took care of them. They sold the possessions and goods that they needed to, to get the money, to buy the food, to put the people up. And they said, okay, let's, we're, you're on, the, you're on the, the fast growth track now. We're gonna teach you everything we need to, you, we can help you to understand about Jesus before you go back home. And so they got together and that's what they did. 
But the first thing that I want you to see there in verse 42, and it's the three most powerful words, the the three most powerful words in the Bible. Say those words with me. They devoted themselves. Say that one more time. They devoted themselves. I don't care how good the preacher, if they won't devote themselves, nothing gets done. I don't care the strategy. If they don't devote themselves, nothing gets done. If, I, don't, I don't care the urgency of the need. I don't care the, the trials or the tribulations. If they don't devote themselves, we are nowhere. We are nothing. We can't do anything unless we do it together, unless we get in unity and we move together and we say, you know what? It's for the Lord. It's for the Lord. I don't care who gets the credit as long as God gets the glory. It doesn't matter what my gift is. If there's a need, I'm going to rise up and find something to do to help that. Do I need to sell something? Do I need to uh, put a, a study together? Do I need to walk with somebody? Do I need to bake a pie? What do I need to do? so that I can be part of the devoted ones. You see, church, we've lost sight of this. We've lost sight of it. Why is it that whenever there's a need that we decide, do I know that person before I do something about that need? Why is it that it's like that? When the Bible says that God causes his reign to fall on the just and the unjust alike. God's not judging somebody before he blesses them. He just blesses. Why? Because that's who he is. That's his, that's his character. That's his nature. And if we're going to be like God, we've got to have a big heart like he does. Now, uh, Paul picks up this thread of the church. Um, this is all my introduction, by the way. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Ephesians chapter one. I shared this uh, verse a couple weeks ago. I want to share it again. It's kind of central to where we're going this year. Uh, This is Ephesians chapter one, verse 23. The church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence, by which he fills everything everything with his presence. Church, we, we need to have, and I, I mentioned this in, down there in the 2023 by the, by the threes, and I didn't put anything in for this paradigm, but here's a paradigm that needs to shift in our understanding. It's important for you to talk about Jesus, but don't leave out the church. One, one, uh, uh, one patriarch of the body of Christ many years ago said, no, God, no man can have God as his father that has not the church as his mother. You and I need to realize that people need more than just Jesus. They need a church. They need a family. When people get born again, God designed it so that people get born again into a family, just like a child that gets born gets born into a family. God wants us to nurture people. He wants us to look after people. He wants us to take responsibility for people that are not ours to be responsible for. You want to know the truth? I don't pastor Lighthouse. I pastor Gloucester. I'm not just a pastor here to you. Yes, I thank you very much. You have paid my bills and paid my paycheck for many, many years. But I don't just pastor this house. I'm a pastor to the other pastors. I'm a pastor in this community. I, I, you know, I, I talk to people that are, you know, I can't just like, oh, let me check your membership card. Are you from Lighthouse? Oh, I can't talk to you. Like how ridiculous would that be? 
Now, I'm very aware of ministerial etiquette that I don't go and hang out with people that are church members somewhere else because, you know what, they, they might like Pastor Ken more than they like that pastor at that time, and that wouldn't, be, that wouldn't be right for me to proselytize somebody and get them on over here to the lighthouse. Well, yeah, they just everybody just needs to. That's not how I roll. That's not ministerial ethics. That's not what we do. But I do have a much further reach. That's why it's important to stay connected to the community. That's why I'm part of the denomination that I serve. I, I, have, I have people that I need to be a part of their lives, and you do too. But here's the point. The church, in God's mind, is central in the world. So the paradigm shift that you need to have, I'm skipping ahead on here, but here's a paradigm shift. We have something that people need we have something that people are longing for. It's called community. It's not just forgiveness for their sins, but it's a body to be a part of. And I know even on the, on the team over the years, it's like, well, you don't have to come to Lighthouse. Well, don't we have something that's really worth saying you ought to come check it out? Don't we have something that is amazing to be a part of? Is there anything wrong with saying Come with me to church on Sunday. Come with me to church. Because a lot of times, you know what, what happens when, you know, when, when people start to come, they check everything out. I love first-timers. You know why? Because they, 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 they show me where all the gaps and the cracks are with what we do. <laughs> Let me tell you, I, I've been here far too long. Stuff just, I don't see it anymore. The, the dirt in the corners, the signs that are kind of wanky. The, you know, why do you do it like that? You know, I, I love to hear that. Because if it's not abundantly clear any longer, I've been here too long, it's like my living room, I don't see it. Does that make any sense to you? So first timers coming in, giving us feedback, man, that is gold. That is gold. Why? Because it gives us the opportunity to do better next week. It gives us the opportunity to be better. So the paradigm shift is don't just talk about Jesus, but talk about that Bible study you're part of. Talk about the people of God that have made an impact in your life. Let me brag on them for a minute. Big Jim uh, and uh, Jerry Johnson and several others come. We have prayer on, on Saturday mornings at seven. But I remember sitting uh, probably, ah, it's been 10 years ago, and I was sitting in a, in a meeting and somebody was talking about, what do you do with your young men when they're struggling in this area or that area, and they were talking to me like they wanted me to give them a program. And I'd say, I ain't got no program, but I got a Jim Johnson. <laughs> I got a Jim Johnson, and I'll send them over to Jim, and they'll sit down with him, and Jim will straighten them out. They'll start to, they'll, they'll see that guy, and they'll listen to his wisdom, and they'll be like, ah, that's what they needed. Because, you know, that's really what we need. We need Jesus with skin on, right? We need Jesus that can sit down and talk with us and, and sit down and say, well, you know, that's one perspective, but what if you looked at it from this? Woo, the heavens open up, right? We, we need the body of Christ. We need people around. This God is at work in your life, not just for you, but for others, he wants your faith to be heard about around the world. He wants what, what he is doing in you to be heard um, in, in and among the nations. And how does that happen? How does it happen? Well, it happens 
by being very intentional about what you do. Don't just, don't just, you know, meander your way. Don't just float around. Well, I'm going to be led by the Spirit. You know, Jesus was led by the Spirit, but he was the most resolute man that ever lived. At 12 years old, he said, I must be in my father's house. And then at one point in his walk, right? At one point in his walk, the scripture says that he set his face to Jerusalem. He knew that the time was now. He knew there was an urgency and his, and his gate picked up and he was very resolute about what he did. And he went to the cross, scorned at shame, sat down at the right hand of the father. What did he, what's the last words? He, he started out his life saying, I must. And he ends his life on the earth saying, it is finished. And along the way, when his disciples tried to get him to come out to eat with them, you know, he said, don't you know my food, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. It was more important than putting food in his body that he would finish the work that the father had sent for him to do. Why? Because Jesus was resolute and we need to be resolute as well. Don't just go willy-nilly like, like every hour that you have is just your hour to burn. God gave you the time that he gave you. It's God's time. God doesn't need time. He sits above time. He sits above the seasons, but he has given us times and seasons so that we can uh, be intentional about what we do. I'm a little excited about this. Okay, in your notes, three promises God wants to fulfill for his church. These are there, you know, what are there, 7,000 promises in the Bible? But I've got these three written down as, as some that I believe that God has for us. The first one is you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you know that there is no ministry acceptable in heaven except Holy Spirit ministry? That there's a lot of work that goes on in the name of God that doesn't qualify in God's sight. It doesn't qualify. <clears throat> what do I mean by that? That means when, when Paul says each man's work is going to be judged and some is going to be wood, hay, and stubble and some is going to be gold, silver, and precious stones. What's the difference? The difference is one was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Those people that were sent forth with the power of God, sent forth with the authorization of the church. Those people that move with God. And then there are other people that just went, oh, I got a good idea. I think I'll go over here and practice it. And here's the power. Here's the difference, right? You got the seven sons of Sceva who are casting out demons, right? In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And, and the demonic guy beats them up. Why? Because authority flows from heaven. Authority doesn't flow from the church. Authority flows from heaven. And Jesus is the one that authorizes ministry. And the only ministry acceptable in heaven is Holy Spirit Ministry. Now, that's not to say that it's always signs and wonders. No, Holy Spirit inspired compassion, right? Holy Spirit inspired generosity. Holy Spirit inspired. I didn't do it of my own accord. I did it because I was led by the Spirit of God to do it. 
So here, this is a, a promise God wants for us here. Secondly, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. John 14, 12. That's a promise Jesus wants to fulfill in this house. I don't see why that faith-filled people in this house can't see every New Testament miracle happen through your ministry that we find in the New Testament. I don't see why that can't happen. I don't see why we can't see the bread multiplied. I don't see why we can't see the resurrections. I don't see why we can't see the creative miracles. There is no reason outside of, do you take that promise and do you say that promise is mine and I'm gonna get a hold of that thing? Every promise in the scriptures is available for you and I, and you and I have to appropriate it by faith. Appropriate it by faith. Let me tell you, I was there when the legs were lengthened in India, when the blind eyes popped open and went from cloudy to clear. I was there when the deaf ears were unstopped. I was there when the demons were cast out. I was there. Did I do it? I don't know what I did because I had no reason to think that I had anything to do with it. It was the power of God. But I was there, and unless you go on site, you won't get that insight. You won't find Jesus working if you just keep in your circle and never go anywhere. You've got to go when he says go. Amen? That all of this is a third promise, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is a promise Jesus wants to fulfill in this house. He wants to bring such incredible unity. He wants to be, not uniformity, not like check your brain at the door and don't share your opinion, but come together with a purposeful agreement saying I'm a part and I, and I, and I wanna communicate this because I think we'll be better if I, if I share just this little piece. We can come together as one, recognizing that every person in this room has a gift and I'm here, if you haven't fulfilled your gift yet, if you haven't discovered what your gift is yet, then I haven't had the opportunity to walk with you and help you to discover what that is. Because I'm only here to equip you for the work of your ministry. Your ministry, not mine. You don't come to see me do my ministry. You come here to be equipped to do your ministry. So if you don't know what part of the body of Christ you are, sign up, baby. We're gonna get you in line for next steps and then we're gonna get you in line for the discipleship class and you're gonna discover who you are and you're gonna begin to function in your ministry gift like never before. And some of you have been in this for a while and, and you know what, you, you probably have a piece of it but I bet you don't have all of it. I bet God's not done with you. You've kind of assigned yourself a spot in the body of Christ. I'm not saying you don't have, uh, that you're not where you need to be, but there's probably more to you than anybody has even seen yet. How do I know that? You're still breathing. <laughs> you're still alive. God's not done. The path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter till the full dawning of the day. Can I tell you, tell you, though, there's an urgency in my spirit that as we cross over into 2023, that my, my leeway 
my variables, my options are fewer now in this stage in my life than they ever have been because Holy Spirit is holding me responsible for things that, that he has kind of let go. I'm not saying let go like God is sloppy. I'm saying he, there, that as you mature, there are things that you're, you're ready to take on that you weren't ready to take on before. Don't ask your seven-year-old to drive down to the corner store and get a glass of milk for you, right? Get a jug of milk for you. But as you grow in the Lord, Holy Spirit will cause you to, to be responsible for things that you haven't been responsible for before. Your assignment will shift. And that's what I'm sensing in my heart. And so Lighthouse, I'm saying get ready because God is all in for his church. And this year is gonna be all about being all in. We're, we're going all in together. And if you're not all in, you're gonna be uncomfortable. And I say that in love. Why? Because we need you. Because the world needs you. Because Jesus wants you to get into the game and stop sitting back and holding on to this passive right of non-involvement that we seem to have in the world that says, oh, if I just come to church, I've done my duty. You need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You need to discover what your gift is. You need to deploy that gift. Every gift of God in your life is a subpoena by the Holy Spirit for you to get in the game. It's a requirement. You and I don't have a right to sit on the sidelines. I can see it in your faces. I've stayed there too long. Uh, look in your notes, 2023 by the threes, three people I need in my life. We're almost done. You need a Paul, you need someone who is over you in the Lord, who will call you out on your stuff. They love you enough to tell you the truth. They love you enough to say the hard stuff. They don't love you when you got it all together. They love you even when you don't. And they know some stuff. They know some stuff. They've got to have some wisdom. They've got to have some maturity in the Lord. The Apostle Paul uh, was, was that kind of a person. You need a Paul. You need somebody over you in the Lord. You need a Barnabas, somebody who encourages you no matter what. There's a, a little segment. I, I, I recommend it. I'll, I recommend it to you today. There's a, a segment that T.D. Jakes did. I think it was a 2017 um, New Year's Eve service. It's only about seven or eight minutes long, but it's confidants, colleagues and comrades and and google it it'll bless you and uh i'm not afraid of you going to td's church it's okay um and uh but but it just helped me so much to realize that i was looking for certain things from relationships that they were never meant to provide for me and i needed that categorization to help me discern where I was at, and so this kind of falls under that. Barnabas is that guy that's just always there for you. He's there for you. Barnabas is like a confidant. He's always there for you. He's in it for you. He's not in it for what you're in it for. He's not against what you're against, but he's into you, right? And Timothy, someone I'm pouring my life into for their growth. Who are you pouring your life into? Is there a person that you have identified in your life that you can look at and say, you know what? You're gonna make it and I'm gonna guarantee it. If you don't make it, it's my fault, not yours. Because I've lived this long 
and I know how to get through some stuff. And so I'm, I'm, we're joining at the hip and I'm gonna run alongside of you and you will make it. You need that person. If you're, if you're sitting on the bench wondering what in the world is your life about, you go find you a Timothy and you'll find yourself a reason for being. You'll find yourself a reason for being on the planet longer because people need you. So stop sitting back when we got people flailing away. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen. I, I used to see it here in the, in the church. We, we, I, you know, I know, I know people's stories, right? So I got this grandma over here that raised five kids as a single mom. And, and you know, and they did well. And, she, and, and it was hard, but she did it. And, and she survived. And she's coming to the house of God and she's lifting her hands. She's worshiping Jesus. And then I see a struggling mo- single mom over here with three kids. I'll say, you need to go talk to her and let her know there is life after teenagers, you know? But, but I, you know, I see it because I see you looking back at me, but, but the grace needs to flow back and forth and back and forth. Why? Because we need each other. We need each other. So this is just to help you. 2023 by the three. Three paradigms God wants to shift in my life. One of those is to, is to talk about the church as much as I talk about Jesus. That's, that's my personal one right there. Three provisions God wants to provide. This is for you. Where does God want to provide for you in 2023 that you haven't seen provision in the past? Write it down. Maybe it's to buy that house. Maybe it's to get that car fixed. Maybe, you know, oh God, I used to, I remember the season in my life where I hated car inspections. Ah! I mean, you know, you buy the car that, that is inspected. They make sure you inspect it. You, do, you know, I know it. I know you inspected it last month, but put another month on here right now. Inspect that car again. I got 12 months and then I'll sell it before I have to get it inspected. Three provisions God wants to provide. What are they? The last one is so important. Three prodigals within the sound of your voice that God wants to bring home. Who are the three prodigals that you're gonna reach out to this year? Who are the three prodigals that you're gonna pray for, that you're gonna invite, that you're gonna love on, that you're gonna invest in, that you're just gonna come alongside of them and give them what they need? Can I tell you, there are so many mamas and grandmamas praying for people to have a, somebody come across their, the path of their prodigal and, and speak into their life. And you won't even know why, but you'll be out there talking to them. All of a sudden you start about Jesus. You know, you got some salty stuff going on. And, and you're like, where did that come from? Well, it's because grandma and mom's been praying their knees raw for, this, for somebody to come across the path of this one. And you just happened to be the delivery boy that day. We've got to do it. We've got to do the work of the ministry. And that means getting involved in the harvest some kind of way. Let's stand this morning. You wondered if I was ever going to get there. Here, I want to read this to you just to kind of give you a little shot of adrenaline as we close. This is called the Fellowship of the Unashamed. You've probably heard it before. I am part of the Fellowship of the Unashamed. I have... Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I won't look back. Let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. 
My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I, am no, I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudity, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, am uplifted by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set. My, go- my gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way rough. My companions few. My guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. Hallelujah. Come on, let's lift our hands to the Lord right now.